<laughs> All right, here we go. You guys ready? All right, good. I'm ready too. I think I'm ready. We'll see. Um, this is going to bother me. I'm going to move this further away. New guys. Yeah. Always takes a few weeks to break them in. That's all right, though. We'll get there. Uh, rat races, right? <laughs> Anybody here tired of the rat race? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right? This is the life that we live, I think, as Americans, maybe more so than others, that, uh, that we live lives that are driven constantly. That's a pretty tune. I like that. Just, although I kind of feel like taking a nap now. That's not going to be good for preaching. Come on. We, we live in a country where it's a rat race, where there is this constant competition, constant striving to succeed. And it starts from the time when we're, we're a kid, right? You get into school, and school so often for American kids is a competition, right? It's like, you know, you got to make the grade, you know, and it's not even necessarily against, you know, or uh, competing against other students, but it's just competing for that grade, but then it is also kind of competing against other students. But the idea is that, you know, we, we are in school and we're indoctrinated right away with this idea that it's up to us to succeed. That we've got to put in the effort. We've got to have the right talent. If we don't have that talent, we need to develop that talent so that we can be successful. We can make it in this world. And then when we graduate from high school or maybe, maybe even from college, then we go into the career world. And it's the same thing. Right now we're, now, we're just competing in the career world, in the business world, to try to be successful and to try to put in enough effort so that we can make it, to have a good work ethic, to be able to, you know, uh, be an accomplished business person or to be good in our field and to be someone who is respected in that field or whatever it may be. Uh, we, we, we compete for finances and we're fighting for that finance piece, like got to have enough money to make it, to, to make the ends meet, right, to be able to pay the bills, to, to pay the mortgage, to buy a house someday, right? The, the, the vision and the excitement about being able to do that, to have our own house, to be able to pay for our kids when they go to college, to be able to have enough for retirement so maybe we can retire a little bit early, right? And be able to enjoy the last days of our lives. But it's not just in school and career, it's also this rat races in our families and relationships, as we strive to figure out, you know, as a kid, who we are in the order. You know, if we're an only child, well, then that's pretty easy. We're top and bottom, right? But, uh, but uh, if you've got several kids, you know, or several uh, uh, siblings, you're striving to try to figure out, okay, where do I fit in this family? How do I navigate this? How do I be successful in this family? How do I get praise from my parents? How do I, uh, uh, you know, be able to compete against my siblings so that I can get the upper hand on them, whatever it may be? And then from a family, we move into our friendships as well. Again, back to school, trying to figure out who's going to be the best friend, right? And are we going to be someone's best friend? Are we going to be able to figure that out in some way? And then we get married someday, and then it's that 
that trying to figure out how do we make this marriage work? How do I have a spouse? How do I be a good spouse? How do I interact in these relationships? And then we have kids and we have to figure out how to be a good parent and how do we continue to be a good parent? And, you know, that parenting thing, it just keeps going for the rest of your life, right? I mean, you get, every stage is tough, right? And their little babies are hard, sliming you and everything. And then they get a little older, and then they're, you know, rebelling against you. And then they get a little bit older, and they're getting out on their own. And then they get a little bit older, and they're totally on their own, and you have no control anymore. And they make dumb choices, and you go, what are you doing? So all of these relationships we're also now competing for. But that's not it either. It's not all there is. There's also just trying to figure out, you know, our impact in this world. Does our life make a difference? Do we have influence? And so we're fighting this fight to to be able to have that extra influence or that extra impact or for people to remember us, to be someone that, you know, uh, even after you're dead, that you have this legacy that people will remember for maybe years and years or at least for a couple of years. But that's not all there is either. There's also, you think about body image stuff, (laughs) being healthy, right? Making sure you have the right diet and that you're exercising and that you look the right way. You're able to have a long life because you've done the right things, that you dress the right way, that you have the proper hygiene. This is the world we live in. It is constant competition, constant striving, and it's constantly dependent on us and our abilities and our ability to learn new things, our effort that we put in. And it's all about trying to be successful in this world. Whether we feel like we're successful or whether we feel like other people feel like we're successful. Most of us at some point in our life will come to realize that it's impossible. (laughs) Some of us, maybe we're especially gifted or talented in one of those areas, and we can experience some success there. But very few, if any, are successful in all of those areas. And so at some point in our life, most of us come to the realization that we're not going to be able to do it. Maybe we can be successful for a short period of time, but we can't be successful forever. I mean, just the fact that we all eventually die. And so we either put on a face and try to say, looks, you know, at least look like we're successful, or some of us maybe just fall into despair. We just kind of give up. And we don't even try anymore because we recognize that we can't do it. And then some of us, find Jesus. (laughs) We find Jesus, right? The one who loves us. The one who came for us and died for us and rose from the dead for us and ascended to the Father for us and sent the Holy Spirit for us. We find Jesus, and we recognize that he is the answer, that the strivings of this world are fruitless, that they're not worth striving for, that they're temporary, that they'll eventually go out of style or change or will just go out of style and die. 
And so we recognize that there's something greater to strive for. There's something greater to enjoy. There's something greater to succeed in. And that is the success of eternity. The success of being reconciled to our creator. To have our relationship secure. To have our purpose secure. Because God has created us for that relationship. To have our life secure for all eternity. This is the great news of Jesus. This is the, the thing that changes everything. It changes the, our perspective on the world. It changes what we need to do next. And this is the amazing thing is it all comes to us by grace. Everything in the world we have to work for. It's about our effort. It's about our talents. It's about our abilities. But in the kingdom of God, it's all about Jesus. We receive all of these amazing gifts by grace alone. It's not because we're great. You know, oftentimes we think, oh, well, I got to get my, my, my you know, stuff together before I can go back to Jesus and before I become a, a Christian someday, right? I've got to make sure I get my life right. No, but that's the whole point of grace is that in the midst of your, right, your life not being right, you are accepted. You are loved. This is the great truth of the gospel. This is the great reality of our life as Christians is that we no longer have to strive. We no longer have to put in the effort. We no longer have to make it happen on our own. It's not about our talent. It's not about our ability. It's all, again, about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, it talks about this reality of the imputed righteousness of Jesus that we all as Christians get to receive and enjoy. We are holy set apart, righteous, not because of our actions, but because of Jesus' actions. He is the Holy One. He is the Righteous One. It is His righteousness and His works that get imputed, put on us. We get credit for what Jesus did. This is, again, the good news of the gospel, that we don't have to continue to strive in this world. It's not about being successful in this world. It's about being successful in his world, and to be successful in his world, we just need to trust Jesus. It comes to us through grace. We no longer have to strive. And with this step through the narrow gate, with this bowing of our knees to Jesus as Lord, with this rebirth, we also receive the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of God's presence in our life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. What is the new creation? We've been fused with this Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was within us. We're a new creation. We've been born again. It starts over. And that's not starting over in order to put now our effort into it. It's starting over with a life that is focused on the Spirit. That's lived by the Spirit. And this Spirit-filled life is a whole new way 
of living. In the rat race, in essence, we are constantly striving for cheese, right? Striving for that gift to find someday, someplace, somewhere where we actually get a taste that amazing smelling cheese that we can smell, but it always seems to be just out of reach. The good news of the gospel, when we come to Jesus, we get the cheese, not of this world, but a better cheese, a finer cheese, a more aged cheese, if you like aged cheese. I do, um, by the way. And it's a better cheese that is good for you for all eternity. It will never mold. It will never sour. It will never become something you go, ah, I don't like that anymore. No, it's always going to be good. But as we enjoy this new cheese, it's done in a new way. We enjoy it in a new way of living. We don't enjoy it the way that we would the world's cheese. It's a finer way of, using, of living our life that's not, again, dependent on our talent or our effort. It's a life of freedom. It's initiated, empowered, and fulfilled by the Spirit. However, too often, we as Christians accept Jesus without recognizing the vanity of our own effort and talents and abilities. We step into the kingdom of God and we think that the same rules apply. We, th we think that now we've got this heavenly cheese, yet we still need to strive for the earthly cheese. Or we just think that our effort is worth it, that we can do it. Too many of us came to Jesus healthy instead of sick. Luke 5, 31 and 32, Jesus says that he had come for those who are sick and need a doctor, not those who are healthy but too many of us as Christians, when we came to Jesus, we came healthy. And here the, the importance of being sick is despair. When we're sick, we realize we can't do it. When we're sick, we realize we have nothing to offer. But too many of us, when we came to Christ, we're so excited about grace, about what he's done for us, that we go to him and we say, look, I'm going to do great things for Jesus. It's a great statement. It seems like I've heard it many times. I've said it myself. But I don't think we recognize the profound arrogance in that statement. That somehow we have something to offer. This amazing God who has done it all. That somehow by our own effort, we can somehow do something great for Jesus so that he now looks better. Or that we could somehow pay him back for the grace that he's given us. Too often, we keep striving for success. Even though we've already got it. Keep striving. I'm going to be the best Christian ever. To change metaphors for a moment, I've told the story about the eaglet who fell out of his nest before he could fly, and a flock of turkeys came up and 
found this little eaglet who couldn't fly yet, and so they adopted the eaglet into the, into the flock, and so they hung out, and the eagle continued to grow up and, and you know, develop its wings and all this kind of stuff, but it was being raised by turkeys, so it just continued to live its life on the ground, and maybe every once in a while it would fly a couple feet off of the ground just to kind of do whatever and kind of get from one bush to the next bush maybe and eating you know, vegetation on the ground or bugs or whatever. All the time it was an eagle, and then one day, kind of by accident, a big gust of wind came up, and it took the eagle up into the sky and you realized oh my gosh <laughs> look what i can do all the other eagles are down on the ground and he is or all the other turkeys are on the ground and he's up in the air soaring above realizing this is what he's really made for we as christians we were in life with a bunch of turkeys <laughs> and then someday we one day we found jesus and he showed us that oh my gosh we can fly we can soar above. We're meant for a different kind of diet, a different kind of life, a different kind of experience. But yet, after experiencing a day of soaring through the skies, we step back down onto the ground and continue to act like a turkey. The Spirit was given us so that we would recognize that we're meant to live a different way. Christians don't live as a result of their own ability, their own effort, their own talents. We have success because of what Jesus has done. The life of freedom means that we no longer have to compete against one another. We no longer have to strive for that success. We already have it. The life of freedom says that we can enjoy this freedom no matter what we accomplish in this world. There's a difference between flesh, between physical ability, between effort and spirit. There's great weakness in the flesh, and we need to recognize this as Christians because we so often lean on our own abilities, our own efforts to live out this Christian life that we're in, to, 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 you know, to spend our life with Jesus, but doing it with our own earthly efforts. Three main things that I see as, uh, as weaknesses, first of all, is the arrogance of it. Do we recognize that if we are leaning on our own efforts and talents, that means we get the credit? How many times have I heard Christians, how many times have I even said, look what I did for Jesus? Perhaps more deceptively, none of us would maybe say that out loud, but in our hearts we believe it. The arrogance that comes from using our own talents and our own efforts to be able to be, quote-unquote, successful in the kingdom of God leads, it's just, it's sickening. And we don't recognize it. We think, you know, well, no, i got to put in time. If I don't put in time and effort, if I don't use my talents, you know, God's going to strike me down or something, or somehow we're going to miss it. It's not that we don't have effort. I'll get to effort in a moment. But hear me, it is not about our effort that leads to success. It's not about our talent that leads to success. Jesus isn't going to go, oh, wow, that was amazing. I am so impressed with you. You did that all by yourself. Good boy. You all know, move on. No, that is not the God that we worship. He says, I want you to be dependent totally on me. It's all about me. The second weakness of the flesh is despair. Look what I can't do. 
How many times have we even told God in prayer, I can't do that. I know you're calling me to go here or to go there or to say this or to do that, but I can't do it, and so I'm not going to. How many times do we tell each other or tell others, I wish, but I can't, so we're not going to? Again, this is arrogance, right? This is sinfulness. We are to rely on the Holy Spirit. If God has called us, he will empower us. We don't ask, right? We don't don't get to decide. When he directs us, we need to follow because all is possible when we have the Spirit. Remember the passage we read at the beginning. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. We understand this. As Christians, we understand it's not about your talents. It's not about your effort. It's about the Holy Spirit and what He can do. Ah, the amazing, beautiful, powerful, loving, and good things that can be done by any disciple who simply chooses to follow the Holy Spirit no matter what. Finally, the weakness of the flesh is division. It's when we are focusing or trying to be successful in the kingdom of God through our own strength, our own talents, our own abilities, our own effort, that that leads to division in the church because we're now competing against each other. There's this hierarchy that comes about. Who's the most talented? Who's the most mature? Who's the closest to Jesus? When we understand that we are all exactly the same closeness to Jesus because it is a grace gift that came to us at the moment of salvation, then the hierarchy goes away. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 40 years. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for four days. You have the same closeness to Jesus. And you have the same access to the Spirit. To live our life as Christians with the flesh leads to great arrogance and despair and division. But the Spirit is different. The Spirit is the one who initiates. He's the one who motivates our desires to do right. Do you get that? So often we think that, you know, we do right because of our own, like, self-control or discipline. I discipline myself, and now look at me, I'm really righteous. No. The Holy Spirit was the one who initiated that even desire to do right. He's the one who gave you your gifts and talents. Again, one of the fruit of the Spirit, right, is what? Self-control. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's not uh, our ability It's his ability. So he's the initiator, which relieves the pressure. You know, so often in our spiritual disciplines, we think we've got to do X, Y, and Z because so-and-so is doing X, Y, and Z. And this is the way we do X, Y, and Z so that we can then have that really close relationship with God so that we can, you know, be successful and we can, God will be happy with us and we'll be happy with God and we'll get blessed and we'll get all these great things and it'll be awesome, right? Instead of recognizing, wait a second, we don't necessarily need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to do whatever the Spirit leads us to. This is why these questions on our vision statement, it's not about 
doing the same disciplines you've done for 40 years or for 20 years or for a couple of years. It's about doing what the Holy Spirit is calling you into in the moment, in the, in the day, in the month, in the year. See, he knows what we need. He knows the future. If we will listen to him and follow his lead into spiritual disciplines, we will do the disciplines that we need in the moment that we need them. He will reveal new amazing abilities, new amazing truths about who he is if we'll just follow him. So he's the initiator. The Spirit is also the empowerer. He's the one who provides what we need to do right. Not only does he ignite our heart, initiate, motivate this desire to do right, but he also empowers us. He gives us what we need. We don't have to question him and say, ah, I can't reconcile with that person. You're asking me to reconcile. I can't do it. Ah, oh, I can't do it. You're right, you can't do it. But the Holy Spirit can. You have the Spirit in you to walk out, to step out, to live that life, to follow his lead, to recognize and trust that he will empower you in that moment. Also, the Spirit is the fulfiller. He's the one who accomplishes our heart's desire to do right. He's the one that brings it about, makes it happen. Again, sometimes in our Christian life, we get so frustrated because maybe we're struggling with a certain sin or we're struggling with a certain discipline. We can't, get it, can't make it happen. Can't do, maybe we're trying to read through the Bible, you know, every, or read the Bible every day, and we get through maybe a couple of weeks, and then we fail. Ah! We get so frustrated. We get so angry with ourselves. What am I? I'm so stupid. Why can't I do this? And this kind of stuff. Wait, wait a second. It's the Holy Spirit who brings about the realities, the truths, the good, the right that we want to do. It is a process sometimes. Sometimes it does take years to fulfill these things and to enjoy these things more fully. But can we trust that the Holy Spirit knows that? That the Holy Spirit is leading us in that? So the Holy Spirit is the initiator. He's the empowerer. He's the fulfiller. I want to turn to Galatians briefly, verse chapter 5. Two things I want to point out, because in this chapter we're talking about free, the life of freedom, but we're also talking about uh, the difference between living by the Spirit and living by the flesh. And I want to note the things that he says are in each category, because he lists a bunch of stuff. And so in uh, Galatians chapter 5, as Paul is writing... Down uh, and see where we at here. Verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And so some of them are kind of like the typical, you know, sexual immorality, right? Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. But notice also the things that I just mentioned earlier about enmity, jealousy, fits of rage, divisions, dissensions, envy. Do we get that? See, I think Paul is saying, look, it's not just about, you know, not being sinful. It's not living according to the flesh. It's not doing it under your own effort. It's not relying on your own talents and abilities. It's about trusting the Holy Spirit. If you rely on your own abilities, then you're, it's going to lead to division. It's going to lead to this arrogance. It's going to lead to this, you know, despair and sense that you can't do it or you can do it or whatever it may be. But then he goes on, of course, and then he gives us the fruit of the Spirit, a little bit later on there in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that come to us, not because of our effort, not because we've worked to be more loving, but because the Holy Spirit has brought them about. If we want to feel and experience peace, it's not about trying to work, you know, and kind of get your mind right so that you can be peaceful. No, it's about enjoying what he is giving you. The Holy Spirit brings that about. He's the one that brings these amazing gifts. And so what does that life of freedom look like? I want to give some practical thoughts here just in closing. How do we live by the Spirit? How do we walk by the Spirit? Walking and living by the Spirit is a life of freedom. But a life of freedom is a life of dependence. A life of freedom is a life of dependence. Not about our effort, not about our abilities or our talents, but dependence on God. And I think there's four key ways that we can experience this in a day-to-day. This is the life of freedom that I think we live. This is the life of dependence that I think we can draw out. And first of all is we need to seek his kingdom first. A, A daily time in the presence of God to start each day in prayer. And understand it's not about getting close to Jesus. It's about acknowledging who's in charge. You see, so often we wake up in the morning, we've got a full day plan, and we jump out of our bed, and we get out, and we're getting ready to go, and, we, and everything is about us, right? How do I feel? I feel ah, a little hungry. I need some cereal. Nah, not cereal. It's Lucky Charms. Okay, I'll have some Lucky Charms. It'll be good. And then, we, you know, it's all about me, right? And okay, I'm going to be successful. I got a big day. I got some, I got some interview. I got a lot of work to do. I got to get this accomplished, right? And so we, everything is about me. Everything is about me. Everything's about me all day long. And it's like, what do I got to do? I got to make this happen. I got to do this, right? No, no, no. Wait a second. Hey, we didn't start the day right. It's not our day. It's the Lord's day. Every day is the Lord's day. And so we need to start with a daily prayer, not because it's like the law. If you don't do this, you'll be struck down, but because we need to remind ourselves who's in charge, whose day it is, who is sovereign. To acknowledge that each day is so important. Again, it's a life of dependence, this life of freedom. Next, we need to surrender each day. So it's not just about acknowledging and recognizing who's in charge, but then it's also about surrendering that day. Surrendering reminds us that life is about his will and his effort, not ours. So all the plans that we have for the day, it's not that those plans necessarily are wrong, but if we don't at some point preferably in the morning, after we've acknowledged that he's in charge, we also then surrender that plan to him. Then we're working under our own effort. We're trying to accomplish stuff. We're trying to be successful in our own talents, and our own abilities. Instead of recognizing, no, no, it's not about my will. It's not about my plan. It's not about what I want to accomplish. It's about Jesus. It's about the Spirit and what He is doing and His will and His effort. Third, we need to then trust His provision. Whatever comes, trust that He's good. 
Trust that he's with you. This reminds us that the world never satisfies. We need to remember this. Because again, so often we kind of get into it and we think, you know, we look at, our, at the end of a day, we look at our life, we go, oh my gosh, this was a horrible day. X, Y, and Z happened. You know, I, you know, I didn't get my lucky charms because the box was empty or Debbie drank all the milk and so I didn't have milk and whatever. So we get at the end of the day and you go, wait a second, this is horrible. And we're looking at it from the world's perspective. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. Look what, ah, nah. you know, but no, when we come and we recognize and trust his provision, and we can be in the right spot to recognize that this world's never going to satisfy. Those lucky charms, they might be good for a few minutes, but later I'm going to get a gut bomb and I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. It's not going to be good, right? This is the world has to offer, right? Nothing that is worth something that lasts, right? It's all about Jesus' will. Understand this as well, and this is important. The bad things teach Bad stuff that happens in our life teaches us. God uses it. Again, if we're working on our own effort and bad things happen, then that means it's our fault. When we recognize, we've recognized who's in charge, we've surrendered our life to him and we're trusting him, when bad things happen, it's not that it's his fault, but it's that he's with us in it. He will use it. He will bring about good. He's allowed it for a reason to teach us, to, to develop us, to expose us to new aspects of God's goodness. How many of you in this room have experienced tragedy or great loss, and in the midst of that tragedy or great loss, you have come to understand the, with greater reality the goodness of God? So should we just take away the tragedy? Should we all just have this shallow perspective of God's goodness? Or should we get the opportunity to see the depth of that goodness, the faithfulness of our God, that he is there in all circumstances? This is the truth. This is the reality. This is the goodness of even bad things. So often when bad things happen, we say, God, why are you just so mean to me? Why are you doing this to me? No, God is using it to develop you so that you can experience more of him. Can we get away from this perspective of sorrow and struggle that thinks that it's just all bad and there's no good in it? God has allowed these things to happen, to draw our attention to him. But also the good things that we experience when we acknowledge who's in charge when we surrender each day when we trust for his provision when good things happen it humbles us because we realize we did nothing to deserve it and so then we just go thank you jesus thank you for what you have done and that's the next and final point of the life of freedom is a life of thanksgiving that we would give god all the glory and thanksgiving is so important because it reminds us of the primacy of eternity. When we give thanks in all circumstances, that reminds us that eternity is worth it. That we have already received the greatest gift of all, the life of Jesus. 
This is the life of freedom. It's a life of dependence, not about our effort. If you could say there's some effort that's put in here, it's the seeking and the surrendering, the trusting and the thanksgiving. Okay, that's, you know, I mean, there, I guess there's some effort in that. But even in those, we are trusting the Holy Spirit to initiate these things. He's the one who initiates and motivates. He's the one who empowers us to do these things. He's the one that is going to allow us to enjoy these things. And so we still can't take the credit. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? Just a couple of closing thoughts here. What areas... What areas of your life do you feel the worldly pressure to succeed the most? Where is the world really pressuring you? You see, the life of freedom also includes in it this reality that even though we're still in this world, we're not of the world. Our striving after the cheese of this world becomes it's secondary. It's not a big deal anymore. Because we already have this eternal cheese. And so if the world is still, if you're still feeling pressured, if there's this stress coming down on you from the world saying that you've got to succeed, you've got to do this, we need to recognize that's, that's an opportunity to go, oh, okay, wait a second. Maybe, this, um, maybe I'm not really keeping my perspective right. Maybe I'm not living this life of freedom yet. To what extent are you trusting your own efforts to make you righteous? And if you're trusting your own efforts, do you feel pretty proud? Or do you feel pretty despaired? Both are sinful because both are not focused where they should be, which is on the Holy Spirit and His ability, Jesus' ability to work in and through you. And finally, what do you need to do more of seeking, surrendering, trusting, or thanksgiving? Church, the Holy Spirit is within us. It has given us a new way of living. We no longer work as the world works with our own effort and talents. And that's the only way we can get successful. We now have the Spirit. We are soaring like eagles. Let's live a new and different way, this life of freedom that he's offered, and then enjoy the fruit that comes from that. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your amazing goodness to us, that you indeed are our King. That's your amazing love, Lord, that we get to enjoy, not because we deserve it, but because of your amazing grace. Lord, help us to receive these realities and this truth and help us to live lives of freedom. Lord, reveal to us those areas that have not been surrendered to you. Reveal uh, those areas where we're not seeking you. Reveal those areas where we're not trusting you or giving you thanks. Lord, we long to give glory to your name. Lord, we long to enjoy more fully this amazing relationship that you've given us. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that. We're dependent on you. We can't do it on our own. We're lost without you. There's no hope without you. So, Lord, 
Be gracious to us again and allow us the joy of your spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and following. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And God bless Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Have a blessed day, church. God bless you, folks.